Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to be with you, privileged to be with you here this morning. We are starting a brand new series uh, today that is going to run all through the month of February. And uh, we're calling it This Is Us. Okay, there are certain things that we as uh, on the pastoral staff bump up against and run into time and time and time and time again as we are counseling with people. And so from our particular unique vantage point, we see these issues come up over and over and over again. And there are also issues to which the scriptures speak very clearly to and plainly to. And so we have just kind of realized these are things that we need to teach on regularly here at Kettlebrook. And one of those issues that makes it to the top of the list is these issues of parenting and family. Okay? Now, we know that the, the, the show This Is Us is a hip new television show uh, on, tel- on television that deals with issues of family. But what we're hoping to say in this whole series is that this is us as a family here at Kettlebrook. That as people who have been redeemed by the Son of God, who have been filled by the Spirit of God and live under the authority of the Word of God, that we want to be different. We want to be distinct from the world. This is us. This is our ideal. This is what we hope to see happen in the midst and in the context of our community that we call Kettlebrook Church. This is us as family. But like I said, this is us is also the title of a new television series that deals with family. I just found that out when we were brainstorming about this whole series. I didn't know that because I live under a rock. Okay, um, but but, you know, they they told me that. And actually, there's been a lot of shows about family over the years on television networks. And I, what I just want to do is kind of kick off the series on family. I just kind of want to kind of chronologically go through some of those uh, shows with you. Okay, so starting off, we have this show right here. Does anybody know what show this is? Father Knows Best, right? Father's Know Best. It ran from 1954 to 1960, chronicling the life of the Anderson family, okay? Mother Marge was kind of a stay-at-home, she was a stay-at-home mom and kind of the voice of reason there at home. And Father Jim ran an insurance agency and offered sage advice to his kids on each episode that they would run into. One historian said this uh, about... um, Father Knows Best, is that it presented this portrayal of an idealized American family that every family in America could aspire to. Father Knows Best. After Father's Know Best, we had this one go up there. Ran from 1969 to 1974, the Brady Bunch. Okay, now you have a, a blended family here, and the kids are fighting a little bit more. Mike Brady is a widowed architect with three sons. What are his three sons' names? Greg, Peter, and Bobby. Very good. Some of you have watched this. And he marries Carol Martin, who herself has three daughters. The daughters' names are? Marsha, Jan, and Cindy. Right. And episodes focus on typical preteen and teenage adjustments, such as sibling rivalry and puppy love, self-image, character building, and responsibility. Graduating from the Brady Bunch, we have, after that, all in the family. Now we're seeing a little bit more disrespect between husband and wife. Dad doesn't know best anymore. Okay? 
The show broke ground in its depiction of issues previously considered unsuitable for U.S. network television comedies, such as racism, women's liberation, rape, religion, miscarriage, abortion, the Vietnam War, and impotence. Okay? After All in the Family, in the late 1980s, we have this show. Need I say any more? Okay, Roseanne ran from 1988 to 1997, and from 89 to 90, this was the most watched show in all of television history, okay, at that time. And, uh, and Roseanne was an effort to realistically portray the life of an average blue-collar family in America, okay? Rosanna was successful from its beginning, and episode synopsis include Becky, the daughter, repeating, rebelling, repeatedly rebelling against Roseanne and Dan's parental authority, such as staying out late, breaking into the liquor cabinet with her friend Dana, getting drunk, uh, asking for, uh, for birth control pills. You have characters getting pregnant out of wedlock, issues dealing with child abuse, characters coming out as homosexual, abortion, alcoholism, drug abuse, sexual dysfunction, and racial prejudice all wrapped up into one. After that, we come uh, to this show. What is this show here? Everybody loves Raymond, okay? Now dad can't do anything right, okay? Before father's no best, his father doesn't know anything anymore. Mom is obviously the brilliant one in this one. Raymond often avoids responsibility around the house with his kids, leaving this to his wife, Deborah. And in this show, essentially what you have is adults acting as kids. The, the children in this picture don't even play a huge role in the television sh- in series. It's mostly the adults acting as kids. And then you get to the present day from, 19, uh, from 2009 to 17, modern family. Phil and Claire yearn for an honest, open relationship with their three kids, but they have a daughter who's trying to grow up too fast, another one who's too smart for her own good, and a rambunctious young son to make it challenging. Claire's dad, Jay, and his Latino wife, Gloria, are raising two sons together, but sometimes people think that Jay is actually, you know, uh, her father, Gloria's father. Jay's gay son, Mitchell, and his partner, Cameron, have adopted a little Asian girl, completing one big, straight, gay, multicultural, traditional, happy family. Does anyone notice a trend here? What, what's going on in this picture of television shows throughout the decades? Obviously, it is moving further and further away. Our, our depiction of family is moving further and further away from the traditional notions of family and becoming more and more distorted from the idea of an intact nuclear family. Now, we could argue as to whether Hollywood is, is pushing its ideals onto the American psyche or if they're just seeking to kind of reflect what they already see happening on, you know, kind of the cultural landscape in America. In the end, I think it's a kind of a combination of both. But one thing is true, and that is, is undeniable, is that what is considered family and that the issues confronting family have become more and more complex more and more dark, and increasingly dysfunctional. And anyone who has lived a few years can resonate with this reality. Yes? 
Yes, the, the, the high school that my kids go to is very different than the high school that I went to over 30 years ago. Whoa, that makes me feel old right there. <laughs> but, but it is. And my kids tell me, they say, Dad, we are in the minority in that we have a family with two adults that are still together. We sit down and have, we have meals together. Most of our friends come from broken families, single-parent families, and some of their siblings are with a single parent who's now shacking up with one of their classmates' parents, and they're being all thrown into the same house together, and they have to navigate those kind of treacherous waters of what does it look like to be kind of quasi-siblings in one house with my classmates. Okay? And this hasn't come without a cost. It is extremely hard. It is extremely hard to consistently teach standards and ideals and principles in such an ever-changing and chaotic environment. And so oftentimes, respect has gone out the window. Respect for others, respect for authority, and respect for yourself. And values like selflessness and self-sacrifice and self-discipline have been replaced by selfishness, and self-indulgence, and self-centeredness. This is just the general trend. And it's interesting, all of what we are seeing in our culture happening today was actually predicted by the Apostle Paul over 2,000 years ago. Now, we think of the Apostle Paul as a brilliant theologian, which he was, but he was also quite an adept and precise predictor of what our world would look like in this day. I just want to throw up some verses there from Second Timothy. And uh, we are going to read a few verses on there. You can find the page numbers if you're given a bulletin insert. You can read along or you can just read along on uh, the screen with us. Paul says this to his protege Timothy. He says, but mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. Does this sound vaguely familiar to anyone here this morning? I would say to you that this is a fairly accurate portrayal of life in the United States in 2017. We could just go down this list and say, are these, are these things that we see in our world today? People will be lovers of themselves. Check. Selfie. Check. Okay. Lovers of money. The accumulation of wealth has become an industry in our world today. Boastful and proud. Things like humility have become a lost art in our culture today. If you doubt that at all, just watch what the football players do tonight after they score a touchdown. Okay? Abusive. The United States has one of the highest child abuse rates of any industrialized nation. We lose four to seven kids a day due to child abuse. Okay, and we could go on and on and on down the line to say how this describes the world that we live in right now. 
Okay? And, 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 you know, the conclusion that we have to come to is that families in the United States are a mess in the United States today. This is just the reality of the situation that we live in. This is not meant to be hurtful or shameful to any of us here this morning. Some of us are more aware of it than others. Some of us are knee deep into the mess of family. But this is essentially the world that we live in today. I think we just need to kind of own it. To think otherwise would just be in a giant state of denial of the world that we live in right now. And in the midst of this kind of scary backdrop, in the, midst, uh, in the midst of this kind of scary backdrop, God is calling his people who have been redeemed by the Son of God, who have been filled by the Spirit of God, who live under the authority of the Word of God, to portray and live out something different, to offer to the world a different narrative, to write a different story of what it looks like. And the primary venue that we do this for the world around us is in the context of how we do family. One of the primary ways we demonstrate our distinctiveness as God's unique people is how we model and do family. Now, what's really interesting is that in those verses in there, it says there will be terrible times in the last days. Oftentimes, people come up to me and they say, Pastor Mike, do you think we're living in the last days? And they get this really spooky look on their face. And what do they mean when they say that? What are, we, are we living in the last days? And to kind of understand what the Bible means when it says the last days, I want to encourage you to turn to chapter 24 of the book of Matthew. And we're also going to put it up there on the screen. What the Bible refers to when it says the last days. Days In the book of Matthew, chapter 24, Jesus and the disciples are leaving the temple grounds. And the disciples are kind of admiring all of the architecture, all the great architecture in this massive temple that they're, that they're leaving. And Jesus says, listen, there's going to come a day when this entire temple is thrown down and just completely destroyed. And in verse, chapter, in verse 4... The disciples ask this question to Jesus. They say, what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Okay, so I don't know if they knew what they were asking, but they're saying, what is the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Now, I just want to back up here and explain that ancient Hebrew thought, ancient Hebrew thought, they divided all of history into two grand eras or ages. There was the current age that they were in, they were in. This was the age of sin and of death and unrighteousness, and they were being ruled by their enemies, the Romans. They were certainly living in the current age. But there is going to come a great day of reckoning when the Messiah comes, which they believed was Jesus, and that he was going to usher in the age to come, which is going to be an age of, uh, of righteousness and of justice and of Messiah reigning, okay, age to come. And they are asking the question, what will be the sign of the end of the age? When is this going to happen? Now, the interesting thing about Jesus is that in Mark chapter 1, don't turn there, but just you want to read it maybe later. Jesus arrives on the scene. His first message is, the time has come. The kingdom has arrived. 
in me. Essentially, he's saying that the age to come has arrived in my coming. It has been inaugurated. Okay. But Jesus came and what happened? This old age or the current age of death and unrighteousness and injustice kind of continued on. And so the disciples are even confused. Even John the Baptist says to Jesus, are you the one that we're supposed to expect or is there someone else to, to come? And Jesus says this in Matthew 29 in response to the disciples' question. When will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Matthew 24, 9 through 14. Then you'll be handed over to be persecuted and to put to death. And you'll be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then... The end will come. And so what Jesus is saying is essentially there are two appearings or comings that is coming. There's this first coming where he came as a, as a baby to grow as a man and to die on a cross to redeem us from our sins. That's his first coming. But there's another coming when he is going to come back and then the end will come. And in between there, there's certain things that are going to be happening. There's going to be an increase in wickedness. On the world. He says, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. Jesus says at the beginning, or in Matthew chapter 5, earlier on from this, he says, the world is essentially like a piece of raw meat. And if a piece of raw meat, if left to itself, does what? It rots, it decays, it gets worse. And Jesus is alluding to the fact that the world is kind of like that, like that piece of raw meat, but that God's people when they live filled by the Spirit of God and under the authority of the Word of God, they are like salt that's being rubbed into that piece of meat, and they slow the decaying process down. Now, salt can never stop the decaying process altogether, but it can slow the decaying process. But Jesus is saying that the world, the general trend of the world, is that it's getting worse and worse and worse. And we see this all the time. If you're to chart just generationally here in the United States, you can have generation one that comes from an intact family and that their kids grow up. Generation two uh, grows up and they might get divorced. So they come from a divorced family. Generation three grows up. They look at their parents' life and they say, well, I don't even see why I should get married because marriage doesn't make any sense. So they don't even get married and they start living together and having kids outside of wedlock. And those kids come up and they're having multiple partners and it just gets worse and worse and worse down the line. If you think I'm painting an inaccurate picture, just turn on the 10 o'clock news. Or talk to one of our families that's taking care of the foster kids right now. We have one family that has just taken in four foster kids from one mother and four fathers. Okay? And this is what Jesus says will happen. Now, I know I'm painting in broad general strokes, but this is the undeniable trend, and I defy anyone to prove to me that the opposite is occurring in our country. And the only way out of this destructive cycle is for Christ to intervene. And if someone repents of their sin, comes to faith in Christ, and they're redeemed by the Son of God, filled by the Spirit of God, and live under the authority of the Word of God, then the sky's the limit. All bets are off. Anything can happen. I have a good friend 
who he and his wife both come from broken families. And in fact, the situation is so bad that he was out uh, before they got married. He was out golfing with his future father-in-law, his girlfriend's dad. And uh, he says to him while they're golfing, he says, hey, are you having sex with my daughter? Because if I were you, I would be having sex with my daughter. Can you believe that? That's the situation. But both of these people have come to faith in Christ. And they've been redeemed by the Son of God, filled by the Spirit of God, and they live under the authority of God. And they're writing a whole new narrative. Their story is one of redemption and kingdom. And they're writing a legacy that's going to last for ages and ages to come. But so during this time, there's going to be this increase of wickedness, okay, and that there's going to be this great sifting that happens because what happens, Jesus, is that there's going to be people who are, who are claiming to follow me when it's comfortable and convenient and advantageous. And when it ceases to be comfortable and, and you know, just easy and advantageous, then there's going to be, they're going to fall away. They're going, to, they're going to not follow me anymore. And so there's this great sifting that's going to take place during this time, and God's people are going to become more and more different and more and more distinct, okay? And, and what, the way that we show this distinction, this difference, more and more, is how we do family in the world. Now, you may be wondering to yourself, what exactly does God want to do during this time between the first coming and the second coming before the inaugura- between the inauguration of the kingdom of God and the consummation of the kingdom of God? What is God up to? What is he doing? Well, I'm so glad that you asked that. Okay, we're going to turn to one last passage in Titus chapter two and read this together and we'll kind of end here and land on this passage. Titus chapter two. He says this, Paul writing to Titus, he says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It's available to everyone. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age right here that we're living in. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and, catch this, to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. This is what God wants to do between the two appearings. You'll notice that the word appear or a derivative derivative thereof happens twice. In that passage, there is the first appearing. It says, for the, grace of God that, uh, the, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. The first appearing when, God, uh, when Jesus came as a man, lived, died on the cross for our sins. And then there's the second appearing while we wait for the, the blessed hope, the appearing of our great God and Savior. So they're waiting. We're waiting for the second appearing. And that in between these two appearings... His intention is to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. That these people would be characterized by saying no to ungodliness and worldly passions. And if you want to 
list of what that looks like, you can turn to Galatians chapter 5. But that they would live self-controlled and upright and godly lives in this present age. And that by the Spirit of God, that they would let the values and the priorities and the ideals of the kingdom of God penetrate and permeate their being. And that they would reflect to a watching world what God is like through the very force of their character and behavior. And one of the ways that we do this, one of the primary avenues where we do this more than anything else, is in how we live and do family. We have to understand this. We have to get this as a community. Otherwise, we have absolutely no credibility or authority to say anything significant to our culture in any way today. And if we get back to those television shows that we saw at the beginning, I I just kind of have to admit that as a pastor, I actually have a concern. And my concern is simply this is that as a community and as a church, could it be, could it be that through the amount of media that we watch and consume on television, that we are actually being more formed and influenced by the values of Hollywood than we are by this book right here? I actually have a concern that we're raising a whole generation of followers of Jesus who are being discipled by television. Because we have all sorts of time to watch that, but we can't seem to find time to open up God's word. And so I just want to ask you, do you expect to spend more time in front of the television than you do in front of God's word? And you expect to live a life that's any different from the world at all than you have another thing coming? You have another thing coming. We will not be distinct if we live in that way at all. And, you know, as Dave was saying earlier on, many of you may know this, some of you may not, but the divorce rate in the church is exactly the same as it is in the world. There's no distinction whatsoever. And my concern is that we are actually being more influenced by the world than we are being an influence on the world. Now, if you're here and you're from a divorce situation, God forgives all things. There's no sin that takes you outside the love of God. Romans chapter 8 says that nothing can separate us from the love of God. And so there's forgiveness. There's all of that. We have a church that's full of people who are divorced and living as a new creation in Jesus Christ. Okay? But as your pastor, I need, and as the lead pastor of this church, I need to stand before this church and say, God's expectations for his people who have been redeemed by the Son of God, filled by the Spirit of God, and live under the authority of the Word of God, is to be different and to be distinct from that. And if we do this, we will have something to offer to the world. We have some good friends up in Minnesota and uh, the, the gal in this, in this marriage comes from such a dysfunctional background that the husband confided to me one day. He says, when her mother passes away, I will not grieve or shed a tear at all. I don't know what all the details are. I just know that it was bad. Okay? But both of these people 
have come to faith in Jesus Christ and they've been redeemed by the Son of God, filled with the Spirit of God and live under the authority of the Word of God and they are now writing a brand new story. They have three kids, three grown kids now who are off and they are going to change the world. Let me tell you, these are amazing kids. It's because they've allowed themselves to be changed by Jesus. And one of the primary ways that we portray to the world around us that we are distinct and different is how we do family. Now, I have to tell you, I don't have a lot of application for you from today's message. If you want to go home and turn off the television, that'd be wonderful, you know. But this is, this is my application. This is my application for all of us this morning, is this. Please come to the rest of the series. Come and make it to the rest of the series. We are going to be talking about family from every conceivable angle. We're going to have Troy Lather up here. We're going to have Stephanie Lather up here. It's going to be amazing. And we need to get this. And we need to understand this as a church if we're going to be distinct in any way. So just as, a, as, a, as kind of a, a final time in God's word, I just want you to stand. And I want us to read these verses from Titus one last time together with me. This is kind of our marching orders from God himself. Let's read this together. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Let's pray. Father God, as people who have been redeemed by your Son, who have been filled by your Spirit, and who want to live under the authority of your Word, we come before you this morning, and we just covenant with you as we stand on the threshold of this brand new series. We want to be these kinds of people. We want to offer a different narrative to the world around us than the decay and the disintegration of the family that we see around us. We want to write different stories, stories of redemption breaking in so that the world around us would be put on inquiry and curiosity and just say, you, you have to tell me why you're different and why you're distinct. And we pray that you would receive all the glory and the honor and the praise that would result from our distinction from the world. And we pray this in the Son, Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.